Hello, welcome to the third episode of the ETB podcast. My name is Ewan Bennett and this is my podcast. It's aimed at people that would like a career in audio engineering or producing or anyone that just likes listening about this type of thing. On this episode, we have Oz Craggs. He is a producer from Folkestone, worked with a lot of modern rock and metal bands. I asked him to send me a list of some bands that he's worked with and bloody hell, there's a lot. Um, Some pretty big names as well. Uh, Neck Deep, he mixed and mastered some of their stuff. Gallows, he mastered some of theirs. Oz was in a band called Feed the Rhino, so he produced and mixed all of their stuff. Uh, other bands such as The City Is Ours, Skies, Seasonal, Lightscape, and so many others. So yeah, um, we had a little bit of a technical issue at the end of it. Um, just towards the end of the podcast, my interface decided to stop working and make a random beeping noise so it kind of cuts us mid conversation but we carried on recording and jumped back into it um so yeah i really hope you enjoy it once again thank you to oz for coming and doing this um it was really nice to meet you and and get to know you properly yeah enjoy Hello, Mr. Oz Craggs. Am I saying that right? Oz Craggs, yeah. That's, that's I fine. Because I didn't know and I was really scared about saying it Yeah, wrong. no, that's fine. It's, um, yeah, my uh, first name, my name is actually Oliver. Okay. But my parents had the genius idea of calling me Oliver and hating the nickname Ollie. Ollie, yeah. So, uh, so it's become uh, become Oz. Yeah, that's what my mum and dad used to call me when I was a kid. So it's pretty good name. Yeah, it tends to just worse. stuck. Yeah, it kind of makes up for my surname, I guess. So. <laughs> Yeah, See, I, thought, I thought it was Craig's at first, and I said that to Dan Lucas when I met him. Yeah. He was like, who? <laughs> I was like, Craig's? Yeah, know. yeah, just Craig's. Yeah, sounds like a Scottish swear word, I always say. Nah, that's like. all good. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's nice to be here. Nice to chat to you Thank about you uh, for... about work and yeah. in your cool studio. I like it. Thank you very much. And it's a beautiful day here today as well, so you get the sun coming in. Absolutely. And, uh, blinding you. Yeah, blinding me a little bit. <laughs> but no, it's beautiful. It's really cool. Yeah. Nice space. Um, it's cosy. Um, yeah, thank you for coming and doing this. My pleasure. I've um, been looking forward to it. I know I've been a bit, little bit tricky to pin down yeah. for the last uh, few months just because work's been absolutely bonkers, but I'm glad, uh, glad we can make it happen and mm. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I messaged you a while ago asking you to do this. Yeah. And also saying that you came to my college. That's right, yeah. About, must have been about three years, three, four years ago I now, something no, like that. I have no track of time. A while ago, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you did a talk. Yeah. Uh, to my class about being in a band and being a producer and yep. what that you know involves and mm. I was wondering if like do you do is that a thing that you do often or is that no, just it's kind not. of a one-off it's, thing? I think I've done it a couple of times um, I think I I don't want it to become something that I do too often because then I think it loses the meaning for me a little bit I want because when I I think it meant a lot to me coming and doing it at Canterbury College you know because I actually went to Canterbury College and okay. um, kind of, ha- I think there were some things I got from being at Canterbury College that I don't know if I'd be doing what I am today without it. Yeah. So it was really cool. But in a lot of ways, I felt like it was a little uninspiring for me. Now, I know the course has completely changed. The lecturers have changed. The facilities have certainly changed. Yeah. Um, but I think 
with education in general, there's these kind of weird weighted kind of opinions and things. And I suppose like I felt it quite important to come in and say, well, look, you know, I've kind of like done this and I've done that and the other, but I've done it kind of in a completely different route that mm. like anyone, the kind of mainstream education way is saying that yeah. this is how you should do things. Or So I think it was good for me to be able to like kind of come in and hopefully as kind of cliche as it sounds, try and inspire people a little bit to say, well, you know, I mean, it well, literally you, is... Imp- you did. <laughs> good, good. Uh, um, yeah, complete complete uh, evidence of that. Oh, that's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I remember when you said that it was, t- you know, it, it was, it touched me, you know, to know that you went on to do this. It was like really good, actually. I was nearly swore then. I don't know what your you rules are. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah, cool. There's no, there's no... Um, yeah, really cool to like uh, know that because, as I said, like for me, you know, I mean, I think I grew up in Deal, um, so you know, it wasn't exactly the kind of like central hub of the music industry mm. to say the least um there's a little bit down there now. i mean that yeah there is yeah and there was there, i think i think we are actually very lucky in kent to be honest yeah. but you know again certainly back when i was kind of in my teens and stuff the world was a very different world now it wasn't as kind of you know the internet has shrunken everything down so people can be wherever and yeah. you can work and stuff where the, the opinion was of the time where it was, you know, you have to be in London, you have to be doing this. And I kind of, I said no. And Mm. I was just like, I'm going to do it my own way and on my own terms. And, you know, but the only way that's possible is just by absolutely working your bollocks off, you know, and like, and and being prepared to kind of sacrifice pretty much everything for it. But I think it's important that, you know, in a world where there is, you know, nowadays there's just infinite, knowledge on the internet about how to do Mm. this and what compressor does what and you know which never existed and i think as ridiculously amazing that that kind of wealth of knowledge it is to have there i think maybe the things that people miss is just the kind of the idea that like you know you can have a career but but the more the mentality behind what it takes to have a career rather than knowing what settings on 117060 is do you know what i mean like i think that's yeah. I think maybe that's kind of fallen by the wayside a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to do this 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 podcast on this mm. platform is that you know there is a lot of information on how to do things like yeah. you said like how to you know work compressors or whatever. Yeah. But there's not a lot on how people have made a successful career out yeah. of doing this. Yeah. And that's kind of why why I'm doing it cuz you know I think that's important knowledge for people to it, know. It really and, is. It really is. You know chatting with people that are deemed successful mm. and you know do this as a full-time job. Yeah it's helpful for people to know that and know how, where they came from and, and how they started. Absolutely. Which... And, and, you know, it's, um, I'm sure your listeners all kind of like know, I mean, and kind of realize that like a lot of the paths are the same, you know, most, mm. I think a lot of people that do this really do have that kind of very similar path because, you know, as kind of, as, you know, not, you know, I don't want to make this like a kind of, depressing thing to say but it's just it's stating a fact is it's a shrinking industry yeah. it really is um so to have a career in it and to be successful in it requires a lot of work it does require a lot of work and i think it requires a certain mentality and i think that's as i said you know i think it's amazing i think mean, i think people kind of coming out the gates are better yeah now than when i was doing starting out you know i yeah. think like i guess and you would have learned how to do things 
yourself like trial and error and that obviously lengthens the time of learning of course yeah but now like you said earlier you have youtube and whatever yeah fingertips and we can look up how to do stuff exactly and and people that you know you go oh that sounds amazing how do you do that i mean i remember um i mean you know i can't completely take you know all the credit for just kind of like trial and error because um a few times along the way i've kind of had mentors and stuff which has been i suppose what i've been lu- really lucky with mm. um so when i um first started uh i mean obviously i was like recording bands on four tracks and stuff this was before you know computers were really viable so you know i, I did really start very young you know um so there was uh you know four tracks were really the answer to, to if you wanted to record at home so i had four tracks and i was doing things like that mm. uh, from a very young age um and then I got into recording and was kind of like did the old school thing of like t-boying at like a small studio and deal and I think the owners of and it was like a music shop and a a recording studio and teaching they used to do teach you know teach the instruments there they also had PA hire Mm. and I did my work experience there and kind of got a job and the people there as much as they did do recording I think they they taught me a lot about business and they taught me a lot about kind of time management and about kind of you know the technicalities of recording but more than that you know just the kind of ways of doing things so I learned a lot from them um and then when I went to one of the you know I said about Canterbury College one of the one of the best things that happened to me there was one of the lecturers was a guy called John Tutton who I don't know if he's still there or not Mm, but um don't think so by this point by the time I was kind of 16 17 when I was there I was already recording bands basically I was already you know charging bands to record them um and i think for whatever reason he saw that i was pretty set on that doing this mm. uh so he would kind of teach the class and say oh this is you know you must use a d112 on the kick drum you must use these mics on this and then kind of he i would go in for lunch and say okay now forget everything <laughs> that i've just said because this is what you could do you could use a large diaphragm condenser on a kick drum yeah you know and he would kind of <clears throat> teach me more from a you know a creative of, a creative of, yeah. way yeah because uh, he had a, you know he was he he was an incredibly talented engineer with like a lot of kind of big credits as well mm. so you know i learned a lot from him and you know but yeah like that was the way you learn and i remember kind of starting out recording metal bands and stuff and never understanding i didn't even know what like samples were mm. i didn't even know that that was a thing yeah. like for years i was like being paid to make records for bands before i even knew samples existed because <laughs> It just wasn't the information and, and the information on stuff like that was so that was one of those things I think it is still a little bit now maybe it's not but it's kind of seen as this such a taboo subject yeah I mean this is a question I've asked both Dan and Ian yeah and I was going to ask you as well yeah what are your opinion on drum triggers like um for someone that produces a lot of metal music yeah uh it's funny you know because I think anything in production is like a it's like a color and it's a tool. It's like, you know, a color on a paint palette. Mm-hmm. You can definitely do too much of it and yeah. you can use it in an ob- obnoxious way. You could also kind of mess yourself up by kind of saying, right, well, I'm never going to, I'm never going to use purple in any of my paintings. Mm. Sometimes you need to use purple. So, you know, you need it, to mix it, another color with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you, you need to know that like it's there as an option. I think the minute you start implying rules on how you use samples or what they should or shouldn't be used for, again, you're limiting your capacity of of 
what could be done. Mm. Um, there again, when I do listen to a lot of other people's recordings, I do think people overdo it with samples mm. for sure. Um, but that not might might not be that they're overdoing it with samples; they're just not doing it very well. Yeah. Maybe um, there's a lot of kind of I think you get a lot of artifacts from using samples that like you know like where you hear things going out of phase of the overheads and yeah. things like that and you know miss triggers and you know that that kind of thing so it can cause a lot of problems but yeah samples are amazing it's an important part of what everyone does yeah you know whether people want to admit it or not you know everyone's using them every single rock track that's played on radio one yeah more or less guaranteed to have yeah samples. yeah i mean there's some outliers in there there's some people who are just absolute ninjas who don't use them um there's a one of my favorite producers actually a guy called eric valentine who i've long admired um he can do things with drums that you would absolutely swear it was samples and and they're not Hmm. but you know if you see his plug-in chains on the on the shelves it's like you know we're talking like 10 deep on Mm. plugins does it sound like the original kick drum anymore? Of course not. No. No. So at that point, it's like, well, you might as well, you, yeah, you might as well. Th- be using and sample. this, this is the thing. But I think, I think the minute you start kind of thinking, <clears throat> I'm going to replace this. Yeah. You're doing yourself and the artist maybe a disservice. I think yeah. you should try and kind of. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Try and work with it. Before. Yeah. I only use samples if i need to yeah like if it's really not working i'll always you know try and get the best out of the you know recording that we that we've got but sometimes it just doesn't cut it and you need in order to give the client a good product and you know do yourself justice you need to yeah you you need to use something to yeah for sure to make it better and i think that's the thing i think like i've gone through I definitely, you know, I'm sure it will come up as a thing that, like, I have definitely phases and curves in my work and, like, kind of over the years, you know, I've been doing this a horrifically long time um, for, for you know, someone that maybe sounds young, but, like, you know, I've been doing it for so, since I was so young that, as I said, I've followed these curves and I kind of go through different phases and kind of mentalities when I work. And there was a phase maybe when I uh, would have been around 2012 where I was doing a lot of records where I was... If I was having to use samples, it felt like I'd done something wrong. Yeah. So there was a lot of records that I put out, you know, on like big, you know, well-received records that have had millions and millions of plays mm. where I didn't use samples at all. But I think my mentality was kind of wrong going into it because, you know, it wasn't that I was thinking, I want to make the track great. It was thinking, I don't want to use samples, you know. So I think I've kind of come past that. And then I've gone through phases where, you know, I want to make everything sound hyper realistic and you know larger than life because i've been inspired by records that sound super super kind of punchy and massive and then that's i get really deep into that but i think you know the the kind of like your control should always be the artist and what they want you know that's that's the end of the day they're the ones that are coming dictating it yeah to you know provide them with what they want exactly yeah so you know if there's like a band that I work with um, who are really, really cool, uh, called See You in Reno. And if I kind of did a song for them and it was all, you know, drum samples and mm. like, you know, one single velocity kick drums, you know, and all of that, they they would hate it. Mm. They, I mean, you know, so their records don't have samples on it. Um, but then I work with bands like, you know, I do a lot in the 
there's a really good like kind of metalcore metal scene at the moment um who are all there's kind of like a group who are doing really well so there's like um seat is ours uh behind blue eyes as everything unfolds another band in that group is called our hollow our home which are kind of probably the the ones that are kind of you know doing really really well in that group mm-hmm. um and I do a few of those. I don't work with Our Hollow, but I work with City is Ours. I work with all the other bands I mentioned. And, you know, if I was to give them a kind of natural drums in a room sound, it would be doing them a disservice. You know, they want the kind of super punchy, hyper-realistic drum sound, yeah. you know. But, again, it's... That's that's what suits the music. Yeah. And it's also, you know, it, it gets down to the song, it's down to the part, it's down to the drummer... It's down to the, how the drummer plays. Sometimes, you know, you're using samples because it, for technical reasons, you know, so for, you know, kick, I think probably the place I would use samples the most is on a kick drum yeah. because I hate uneven low end. That's the thing, mm-hmm. I suppose, where the kind of thing of samples came from for me personally was that, like, I really don't like it when on a double kick you can hear the, the two hits where the foot lifts on a mm-hmm. single pedal double kick thing. And the low end changes. Yeah. And that to me makes the whole mix move in a way that I don't find pleasing. Mm. Um, so a lot of the time I stand kind of was figuring out how to kind of mitigate that. And I found kind of maybe like layering and a sample of just something that's been kind of like, you know, like low past. So it's like a, it's just basically like a sub sound. Yeah, just the thud, yeah. You know, and then I kind of started doing the same thing, but with like trigger, like triggering a um, gate that's going to a, test tone generator so it's just triggering like a just a blast of kind of a a a sign or you know a tone at whatever frequency um and that that was basically what i did for ages as well but then i found that sometimes with some drummers you know you get in that habit of doing that and you think oh this is this is it i've kind of sussed it out and then the next drum comes in their attack is really different on their foot so then you can hear the beta attack different and then okay well i've got to figure out a different way yeah it's doing it you know i think it's finding different different methods that work and then testing which one works for that performance exactly yeah and that and that drummer you know so it's um it's it's just knowing that you've got these tools at your kind of uh disposal to kind of um make the best out of the situation and stuff and you know i've i've kind of liked to think that i've kind of used samples over the over the years in kind of different ways and so there's like records that i've done that I specifically had a goal or an idea to do mm. that I've never done since that I was like, right, that's, this is just going to be for this project and yeah, I'll never yeah. do that again because I wanted to give that project a unique voice. Mm. Um, so there was one of my band's records um, called The Sorrow and the Sound, uh, which was our first release on Century Media. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give that record something different because the record before was in the period where I was you know, really keen on not using samples. Right, so the yeah. drums are completely natural. Mm. on the on our second album which is called the burning suns so on the record after i wanted to give it something insane basically Mm. so i thought what would be really cool is you know and obviously you know room samples are a big thing i'm sure people have talked about that you know possibly on your podcast as well using kind of triggering ambience and stuff so i wanted to push that to the next level and rather than using maybe stock room samples um i thought it'd be cool to make my own so Mm. I went to, we, we tracked all the drums uh, in my studio um, and then we went to a music venue over the road called the Courthouse. Okay. At Folkestone Courthouse. And there's this kind of a really odd sounding room. Mm. It's got some really bizarre characteristics that 
you don't get anywhere else. It's got two concrete walls either side of the stage, so you get the flutter echo mm. is quite extreme in the sh- in the kind of short term, but then the room's big, so it kind of has this quite natural decay. Mm. Um, so we, when we set the drums up to the start of recording the album, I used like a drum dial and kind of um, to measure. I don't yeah. use tend to like using a drum dial for actually tuning, but I use it to kind of measure where the drum is and mm. to keep it kind of so. A, if I want to get back to that tuning, I can yeah, always get back to it. So we did that. And then kind of, you know, a week after we'd finished tracking the drums, we reskinned the drums, put the tuning exactly to where it was again, took it to the this venue. Mm. And I had kind of like a pair of spaced, you know, condensers up in, literally up in the eaves, you know, mm. really super high up. So two floors or three floors up <laughs> um, in the back of the room. And we recorded like multi-velocity samples of the yeah. same kit in that room and that became the ambience of the drums and that oh, that's really cool yeah but i couldn't use them again because no, yeah <laughs> because they were so specific to yeah. the it was You'd those have to drums do that with every single with every drummer every, yeah. yeah and and you know every drummer has a way of hitting and stuff like that mm. um chris has a really unique the drummer and feed the runner had a really unique style and kind of sticking technique so it was just a cool thing to do and and that's where i think you know samples can be a legitimate creative tool just as much as compression or EQ or yeah. reverb can be. Yeah, because you wouldn't um, you wouldn't have got that massive drum sound if you hadn't have used you know those specific yeah. tools. Yeah, I think people think when when you talk about triggering is that oh you're just completely replacing. Mm. Well, obviously not not people that know what they're doing, but yeah. maybe you know bands or whatever that don't know so much about you know how music production works and yeah. how mixing can work. I think if you say oh, can I use some triggers on this just to make it big? They'll be like, oh, no, because you'll, you'll completely take my drumming away and of just course, replace yeah. it with a robot or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think people would understand or, or realise rather that, you know, what you described there, you're doing these samples in a bigger room to yeah. create a massive room sound and yeah. layering that over as a sample Yeah. using the trigger from the, from the, the drums. Original, to, yeah. yeah. I mean, and it would, that those samples wouldn't work if I was replacing the close shells. Mm. Um, now again, you no, know, because your whole drum kit would just sound completely disconnected. Yeah. 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 So yeah, so that has to, for, for those samples to work, they have, you have to be using the natural sounds as well. Um, now, obviously, you know, on certain songs, I know for a fact I did layer in close samples as well mm-hmm. um, on things, especially on the kick. Again, that's that's the place I tend to kind of find myself using close mic, uh, close mic samples a little bit more just for the consistency aspect. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, those those room samples just wouldn't have worked if we didn't use the natural sound. So it isn't, you know, I think triggering is a it's a difficult word because you know. Triggering can mean anything. Triggering can mean, you know, triggering a gate. Yeah. Triggering can be triggering white noise, which yeah. I do often, or a t- like a test tone. Um, it's just a it's a technical word that describes kind of using a sound to create a process for something else. Mm. Unfortunately, if people have got the connotation that triggering means <clears throat> you are not using that drum, you're using a sound of something yeah. else. You're triggering a sound of something else and not Getting using rid of the, the original. Exactly, yeah. Which... I don't know many people that do that. No. To be honest, sometimes sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't, you know, but I don't know many people that would have that as their default go-to thing. Yeah. It's like, right, we record the drums then I replace, uh, you know, we re- yeah. replace them. I mean, unless um, unless circumstances like, I don't know. Yeah. Um your room just doesn't sound good enough to yeah. to support that drum sound that you want or yeah. Yeah. Know, the drummer's not hitting consistently enough and that's and and that is it and and this is the the thing you know obviously um 
That's a squeaky uh, sofa, by the way, just in case. <laughs> I was going to mention know, that. Uh, it's, like, yeah, it's not my vegetarian diet, I promise. Um, yeah, you know, obviously the people you've mentioned before, Ian and Dan, both, you know, both good friends of mine. You know, mm. we've come up, you know, in all of this together. And uh, Dan and I, are, you know, we, we chat often, we hang out often and talk yeah. about stuff. And I always say it's funny because the more I learn about, you know, mixing and the more mixes I do and how many thousands of mixes I'm in now to mm. mixes, the more I've become less critical of other people's mixes, weirdly. Mm. Because, say, for example, if I did listen to someone else's production and the drums are replaced and, you know, they're completely replaced. Mm. It's very easy to sit there and go, Phew, they've replaced the drums. I could do that. Yeah, I, could, yeah. you know, I could have done that better. But you don't know what they're dealing with. No. Mixing is mixing is a case of like making decisions based on what you've got yeah. right there and then. And like you said, if you're dealing with a drummer that just hits soft, I mean, you're not going to stop a session and say, right, we'll go back and have some drum lessons yeah, for, yeah. for a year and then yeah. come back and reroute. You just got to go, okay, yeah. he doesn't hit hard. He's got poor wrist technique. He sets his snare drum up too high or, you know, uses weird sticks. And, you know, I could try and make him use heavier sticks, but then he's not going to be able to perform well or he mm. might batter the cymbals too hard. And sometimes you have to just accept that this is how it Deal is. Deal with what you got. And then, okay, I'm going to make the best out of the situation. That's so, all part of the challenge though, isn't it? And, and what separates yeah. a, a good producer from a not so good one is being able to work with um, different yeah different instruments and different sounds that you get from them instruments and different mm. people i think the i think the people aspect is you know it's funny you say that because i think again in a, in a day and age where you know like we said about you know with kind of you know if you want to learn how to how insert your you know favorite mm. producer mics something or processes something or mixes something it's literally going to be there for you yeah i mean i don't i think the kind of final frontier for me on that was Andy Wallace because he was, you know, probably the biggest kind of starting inspiration for me when I was kind of coming up and like learning about what records I liked the sound of. It was always Andy Wallace was the first name that I knew. Um, and he never did interviews. There was one interview he did and that was it. Mm. And then now he's, there's videos of him mixing, you yeah, know, yeah, as yeah. of two years ago or a year ago of him mixing a track on an ssl you know so everything's at your kind of disposal now you can really find everything but i think working with people really is the thing that sets people apart you know you you know you can get people that get great great drum sounds and you can get people that can't get great drum sounds but if you're good with people and know how to get the best out of human beings Mm. and know how human beings hear music as well and thinking Mm. about the listener's experience I think that does set you apart a little yeah, bit. Yeah, of course, because you're, you're going to be able to manipulate or not manipulate. You know, um trying to think of a better word than manipulate. I guess manipulate yeah. um, the person into giving the best performances yeah. they can and that ultimately helps you Yeah, and helps the, the recording sound better. Absolutely. And what's really interesting is that I think every producer I know has a different process to do that. Mm. Every Everyone. Mm. And people from... And I really don't think there's a wrong and a right, you know, because there's stories of you know people being brutal with other people being really harsh being aggressive being physically aggressive Mm. or mentally aggressive or verbally aggressive and it's got yielded great response now i don't take that path personally i try and be everyone's best friend that's that's kind of my process but having said that you know sometimes you do have to kind of establish roles yeah you know but it's understanding why things are why you're doing that why you're talking to someone this way or (laughs) 
why what's stopping this person feeling this way you know yeah. and you know in recent times in the last two months i've you know stopped sessions and taken people out of the studio and just gone right we're going for a walk yeah you know just clear your head clear your head fresh yeah. Mind, yeah yeah exactly Honestly, because, that's that's that like know. from my experiences recording in other studios like not me personally recording but going to other people to record mm. um like if i'm not nailing a take or something you just get con- increasingly wound up yeah and if you have a little break you know whatever go outside chill out for a little bit come back usually within the first or second take they'll nail it mm. and what's interesting i th- think as well is um and you know a lot of uh, you know the clients that i work with or bands that i've worked with over the years will probably attest to this is my kind of bedside manner or my process of of, of yielding takes and getting good takes and stuff is completely different on different instruments because I think the mentality behind different instruments is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what, what, do you play drums? Or? Yeah, I do a bit of bit of everything. Really, of everything. I mean, okay. I play drums in a band called Den. Um, I play bass in another band. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, I'm always in very different mindsets. Yeah, well, I, this is the thing, and and I tend to group drums and vocals together as I think. The, that's probably the time I'm most thinking about how I am communicating yeah. to people um, and how maybe the other people in the band, if people are in the room with me, how they're communicating. Mm. Um, I've pretty much kind of got some rules with vocals now where I just basically don't let other, let, let the band communicate with the singer as we're tracking mm. directly. I'd rather it come through me and let yeah. me kind and of be a filtering process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because just you learn with vocals and drums, it's such a... I think it's such a mental thing recording yeah. that I think you can you can pretty much finish the day. You can kind of ruin the vibe completely just by phrasing something wrong. Yeah. Or you, th- you know um, another thing that I've it's happened. You know I learn all this from learning, making the mistakes. Yeah. You know, or, or this happening to me. Mm. You know, so uh, the example I often give my clients and, and one I think most people can with studio experience can relate to is if I'm recording a singer, they've just pushed themselves to do something a little bit different. They've kind of like tried to do something, really push themselves beyond the limits. Mm. And they're feeling exposed. You know, it's an exposing feeling being in a studio Absolutely, singing. Yeah. They've just pushed themselves out of their comfort zone. I feel a lot, a lot of people get embarrassed. Exactly, almost. they like do. So everyone, I mean, they can they can go and perform on a stage and or whatever, but this thing that they're recording is going to be heard by a lot exposing, of people. It's exposing, yeah, for and, sure. And, you know, they want it to be something that they're proud of. Yeah, and when all their bandmates are there, you know, focusing Watching, on yeah. just that, then, you know, a lot of people don't like that. Well, this is it. And then, you know, what I was going to say is, you know, when, when you're in that situation, they have just kind of pushed themselves to kind of go past that. And then, you know, you finish the take and the talk about mic goes on. And the people at the, on the sofa at the back of the room have kind of are watching a YouTube video yeah. or a kind of Facebook video. And they're just laughing to each other about that. And the first they thing they think, hear yeah. is laughing. Yeah. That's just the it's the game mm. over for the vibe. It's yeah. just done. Yeah, it's, you've got to stop and start again. Mm. So that's why I kind of like you know I've learned over the time that you have to kind of tailor the session for that yeah. to make sure that it's just a, for me personally. This is just my experience. I know other producers have a very different tact, but for me personally, drums and vocals, I'm just I'm their biggest fan when mm. I'm recording them, yeah. and I will not use words like no. Yeah. Or do it again. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of dead. It's never going to be phrased like that. It's more like that was great. Let's try and do one better. Yeah. You know, it's 
I think just li- little things like that is kind of keeps their confidence that. up, doesn't it? Yeah. I think also there's a, a correlation between that and the fact that they're most of the time they're in the other room. So, for example, drums and vocals, you'll stick them in a live room. Exactly, yeah. Bass and guitars, you might have them in the control room with Definitely, you and yeah. the amps in the other room. Yeah. And so they're, they're getting that personal connection exactly yeah especially over here at my in my studio you cannot see the live room from the control room they're yeah. completely separate buildings about i don't know 20 feet away from each other yeah so yeah if i did turn a talk back mic on and someone was laughing they you know they probably would think that they're laughing at their singing or, or yeah. whatever because they can't see because yeah. they can't gauge that what's actually happening in yeah. the room and i think even with a window in between the live room and the control room, it's still you know you still feel separate from, from what's happening, simply because you can't hear what they're yeah. saying. Or no, you're right, you're hundred percent right. I actually, um, when I record vocals, I face the vocalist away from me. Okay, yeah. Um, which is again, it seems kind of to some maybe counterintuitive, but I don't know. I think like again, if if you all they have to do is turn their shoulder and then they can see me and I'll be there. But you know, when they're singing, it's they're just it's them in the microphone. They've not got that kind of something catching their eye or people jumping around or being yeah, silly. Yeah. Like. You know, it's just it's just them in a microphone, you know, and they, they can kind of be with their own thoughts or, you know, kind of the lyrics or whatever they want to be looking at, you know. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, you're right. It's you know and I think I think maybe that might be why I do things as well like that, because my first studio not the first studio I worked in, but the um first studio that I kind of set up was was like a little home studio. Um, I rented my parents' garage off them and mm. built like a thing. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was pretty ghetto. It wasn't anything like as nice as this. <laughs> um, but that was the same setup. You know, it was you, there was a brick wall between. You couldn't yeah. certainly couldn't see. Um, so you know, you had to think about how people are going to be kind of communicating, or mm. you know, you had to start learning how to yeah. kind of read. I think I think that's interesting. That's something that I haven't really thought about before. Um, obviously, you, you get vibes of how people are feeling about about things but that's something that i never really you know i never really dive into how they're feeling about mm. it because i'm concentrating so much on yeah how the how it's sounding but yeah i think that's yeah i'll, I'll probably use that method and yeah you know trying to get i think make uh, them feel more comfortable before and I making really, sure that they don't get uncomfortable during as well yeah i think i honestly think like you know i'm so fortunate um where you know where i am in kind of my career at the moment where it's you know i am I, it's insanely busy all the time mm. and i'm always booked up mm. for forever um and i'm i love that and i feel really proud of myself for having that you know being in that situation yeah. but i think i owe a lot of it down to that you mm. know I love, you know obviously i like to I hope to think people like the way my records sound but i do think that maybe clients that work with me will get a certain experience that you know, maybe they kind of they think... might not get with someone else. Yeah. yeah. I think that that is kind of what I tend to get yeah. feedback-wise. Ian said a similar thing. Like, he he thinks, like, one of the most important things for him is him getting along with people that he records. Mm. It's more than them coming to your studio and getting a good sound and recording or whatever. It's more about their experience at your studio because that that's 100%. what will make them come back because there's millions of other studios around yeah. the world that will give exactly the same result. And you could just go to them and yeah. work with someone that's nicer or yeah. friendly or whatever. But if you're giving them that side of uh, an experience, then they'll come back to you because they like you as a person and like working with you and how you deal with things. I think the word experience is a really key term as well because it is it is an experience, you know, yeah. and this is, I think, maybe why resident, you know, the big 
posh, you know, expensive residential studios mm. do still do okay. It's the experience. It's not just about the recording. It's about being yeah. in these amazing grounds, having yeah, yeah. this incredible accommodation or having a chef on site. And similarly, I think if someone comes to Ian and he will offer a, an experience for when you're there, Dan will do the same. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I do the same as well, you know, but with me, I kind of, a good aspect of my studio, I think that I kind of try and use as a kind of, um, a kind of string to my bow is my location. Yeah. Because, you know, where I am is i'm in this cool little kind of hidden away cave basement thing where i built my studio mm. 15 12 13 years ago um but i am 200 yards from the beach mm. so you know we can literally be tracking and then be eating fish and chips on a beach yeah or swimming in the sea yeah but it'd be literally the last band i tracked we had a break and went swimming <laughs> and then came back it's awesome you mm. know uh, so you can use those things to kind of you know, similar to here, you know, your location, obviously your listeners might not be able to hear this, but, you know, your location is beautiful. Yeah. It's, you know, we're out in the countryside, insane kind of countryside view, especially on today with a sunny day. Yeah. A lot of people like to go for walks in the woods. I can well um, imagine that, yeah. yeah. And it's because it's, you, and that becomes part of the experience. So yeah. when people think about recording with you, they're not thinking about the way the guitar sounds as much as they're thinking yeah. about when we were there, we felt this and it's, yeah. and it's building that experience. And when when I put up the Facebook post about me not being able to track loud instruments here anymore, a lot of people, their response was, oh, I'm going to miss recording there. Mm. Like, I'm going to miss, you know, that environment. Mm. And a lot of the reviews that I got when I first started doing this as well, like Facebook reviews or whatever, mm -hmm. there were Bliss, Kent Countryside, you know. And that's kind of what I used to market it. I was like, yeah. recording studio, studio in the Kent Countryside. Yeah. Because people were like, oh, let's go to the country and record yeah. our music kind of Absolutely, thing. Yeah. And it worked. And, and I think, and that's it. And I think you just have to kind of, build that into you know what you do and i have to think about very seriously you know if you know moving forward if i do look at you know moving and stuff is is how important that's become mm. for my clients as well that being in that experience yeah. and being in the in that space where you know and there's the very cool vibe of i don't know if you've been to the old high street in folkestone recently and um seen what's going on there but it's this very bohemian yeah. arty bustily kind of a bit like the lanes and brighton kind yeah of vibe. yeah i know what you mean yeah it's definitely so, um, becoming more popular, I think. It's really, yeah, it really is. And it's awesome that I kind of, again, I'm in, in amongst that, you know, and mm. I'm, again, right near the Harbour Arm. So, you know, all the cool stuff that's happening there, people can just go there for lunch, yeah. you know, and it's it's just nice to have that. But, yeah, it's, you know, getting back to what we were saying, that, that becomes part of the process. And, you know, as much as people, it is important to make great sounding records, and hopefully that's the main thing that we're we're doing, when you're the artist, like you said, there's so many people offering good recordings now. Yeah. It becomes about more than that, you know, mm. and it becomes about the process and it becomes about how you feel in the process. And, you know, if you're having a good day, you yeah. know, and you have a bad day and you feel, you know, crap about yourself or you don't feel happy and you record something. And, and this is, you know, this is well documented that, you know, there's some famous songs where people hate them. Because yeah. they were just in a bad, in a bad place. mood, yeah. yeah, in a bad yeah. mood when they just, recorded it. I just weren't vibing, yeah. you know. Bad thoughts when thinking back to how it was made. Yeah, and but it, yeah, puts it you back can make to that other position. people so happy. Yeah, and they associate it with good things because of maybe what they were doing the first time they listened to it. Exactly, it's exactly yeah. the same. Just creating something rather than consuming it. Exactly, yeah, and I think that's a big thing. And I think also, you know, we we touched on it a little bit, but with um, I think one thing that maybe again I've learnt 
has become more important to me as a kind of producer is tailoring a record to give the listener an experience. Yeah. Um, and I always kind of describe it as kind of like taking, I, I try and with, with what I do, I try and take the listener by the hand and say, this is what you should be feeling here. Mm. And this is going to happen here. And it's really making a song, a journey that the listener isn't going to kind of be like, Oh, don't really get what's going on here like it should you should know where you are yeah you know it's and i feel like that is it sounds so kind of um it's hard to describe but it's that's become like a big thing in what i do is trying to make songs taking a song and dressing in a way that is kind of in this nice neat little package that when someone hears it they go okay i know where i am in this song i know what i should be feeling at this point i know this is a sad song i know this is a heavy song i know this is an angry song or you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly. What and I mean, think yeah. just hyping that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and again, because that becomes the experience of yeah. it. You know, and that's kind of, I guess, why people would enjoy what you do and want to work with you because they've noticed that and noticed that you're you're just as dedicated to giving an experience to the listener as they are. Yeah, definitely. I think, like you know, again, it's it's, it's it feels difficult to say, kind of talk about what people like recording with me because i think it'd be easier to talk to people who i record yeah. to give the answer because i think i'm just going to be guessing you know yeah um but i think if we are like thinking about that i suppose the 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 most plain and simple way is just like i really do give a shit about it yeah. <laughs> you know i really yeah. do care when i'm working on a project it becomes just as important to me yeah. as a band it's not a nine to five to me i'm not a kind of oh well you know that's yeah. fine we'll work on that tomorrow yeah, yeah. just i become a, i'm very obsessive about what i'm doing mm. and i become very um the blinkers go on and you know world doesn't tends to kind of not yeah. exist around You're the project in, the, in that moment yeah because it becomes really important to me it yeah. really does mean a lot like when i do a project and when it gets kind of well received or you know, when it gets good reviews or when, you know, you see bands get signed off the back of stuff or, yeah. you know, you get the feedback from a record label or this X, Y, and Z. It means more to me than someone going, oh, well done, cheers. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, this, you know. All I've that... actually done some, yeah. something here, yeah. Yeah, that's really important to me, you know, for sure. Yeah, I think, that, yeah, it's a very important thing to be aware of as well. Mm. And the fact that you know that you're, you're going to spend loads of time on working on this project and really digging in deep with the details and that's going to pay off in the end yeah and i feel like um a lot of people do see it as a nine to five job which Mm. is fine because that works for some people but you know some people are just able to knock out a good mix and yeah completely detached from it and but other people get really into it and which both is fine because both get good results absolutely just I mean, that's it. I I'm super jealous of the people that can just knock out yeah, mixes because yeah. I've never been that guy. No. Um, I have to spend hours on mixing. Yeah. And yeah, I, I kill get, my, I get you know. really frustrated sometimes when it's not going the way I imagine it. and But then I realise that's the whole reason why I'm doing it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, this, it's that, that, it's is, that love. That is literally the point in it. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's making yeah. it listenable and enjoyable to yeah. listen to. Yeah. It, it's funny, you know, like, it's the... And what is interesting to me as well, and it's again, you know, existing in a vacuum a little bit kind of when you when you do kind of you're not kind of coming up in a maybe in like a studio where you're interning where there's like big name producers and you're mm. learning from all these people. When you do kind of come up in your own world and kind of find your own way, what's been really interesting to me in the last few years is kind of actually opening up about that and saying to people like, 
my God, I kill myself on mixes. I have like, yeah. you know, there's days where I finish work and my jaw hurts because I've just yeah. been clenching, yeah, yeah. you know. And I get these like, sometimes like, it's crippling. I tense hands. my legs. Yeah. I'm sitting at that desk, I'm like, yeah, well, you, I don't, you, I don't know it's, why. It's like, an, yeah. sometimes you can just feel this like super anxiety and like about things and it's like you, you kill yourself over mm. it. And I always thought maybe, oh, maybe I'm like doing something wrong. No, I think that's important that people know that, that people know that you're not a robot just because you're... Yeah working on a computer all day and you know fiddling with gadgets yeah and you are still a person with emotions and and whatnot and yeah you are gonna pour emotion into doing it because you're passionate about it and i think the more people that understand that you're not just on the autopilot doing it the better because they yeah. know that you're actually adding emotion and something to the final well, that's product. it and i think again like it's kind of shows that um that care i guess but Again, what's interesting to me is kind of going through that and having kind of 15 years of kind of feeling these feelings mm. and trying to understand, like trying to kind of almost get rid of them. And then you kind of talk to people that have been doing it at the same time or longer or whatever. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, I have the same. Yeah, it's just part everyone of has yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Everyone thinks they suck. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's the absolutely. joke of this job. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Every producer that I've spoken to, I was like, oh, I've listened to something that they've done. I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds really good. And they're like, really? I thought it wasn't that good. Or, yeah. like, or, or they really get frustrated about how their snare sounds on this track and mm. whatever. You know, it's just. But I feel I feel like that's um the same with that's just humanity. And yeah. That's just that's just being human. Like whether you're worrying about how your kick sounds or what you look like and how you're dressed. Yeah. And everyone's going to be self-deprecating. Of that's course. just yeah. being human. And it's just what you what you put that into. Exactly. And I think it's that it's that um striving, it's that kind of need to to get better. Yeah. That does set people apart, you know. Hmm. Again, in my kind of time of doing this, like what I've noticed is you get these like you get producers of the kind of time who will be really good at doing a sound. And like you you said there, the 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 people that fit in the kind of former category that you described earlier who are just they can just knock out a great yeah. mix. And they usually, I find that those people are generally genre specific as well. Yeah. So they're, they're just, so used to working with that. Yeah, this one type of type music, of, yeah. and they've just got it. They've got this natural knack of making that yeah. genre sounds great. Um, and over the years, I've seen people like that just have this insane career for like mm. three or four years, mm. and then it's like, oh, well, you don't see them again. Yeah. And like, I'm sure they're still doing stuff, but you don't see them in the same way. And what's interesting is the people that kind of stay you do see have a career are the people that are bending and changing and moving because yeah, you and have to because over time music's going to change anyway exactly so... and taste change but they're you always the people that kill themselves i can tell you right now <laughs> they're always the people that are sitting there killing themselves yeah. over how i make sounds yeah um you know and that's i think that's quite telling you know i think yeah. they're the people that are constantly reinventing themselves yeah to keep up with a forever changing industry and it's like rather than reinventing themselves f to keep up they're reinventing themselves because they don't think they're there yet you know what yeah, i mean yeah they're like oh, i want it to be better i yeah. want it to be better so how can i do that all right well i'm going to try i'm doing this i'm you know mm. for the latest one for me was i sold my console you know i had an ssl and i was like i'm going to sell it i'm going to get rid that? of it just because you didn't want to get stuck in your ways with it yeah i was getting stuck in my ways there was there was i was i felt like i was i had a new method that i wanted to try out and I also kind of that just had this that just proves sorry to interrupt that that's just fine. proves that 
gear does not make you a good producer or absolutely not which is which is a question i ask a lot of people do you think gear is important in a studio or would you rather work with a better producer because a lot of people i find will look at a studio and be like oh no they haven't got like a big console or whatever because the cliche when you think of a recording studio is a massive console Mm. and people just stand over it like bopping Mm. their head mixing moving all the faders and stuff in reality most studios aren't like that yeah and i think i think people get like bands especially get caught up in in that thought process of thinking oh no he hasn't got nice gear so he can't be that good Mm. but that's just not the case in so many situations no i completely agree i think it is it absolutely comes down to the person Mm. not the equipment i think you know 15 years ago there was definitely an argument that at some level there was an equipment needed to play a role. I still think it's always been a person, but I think 15, 20 years ago, the gear, there was a, there was a very clear cutoff where Mm. you could, you know, how good could, you know, the best of the best producer make a horrible mic into a four track sound with hits, you know, in this day and age, you know, anyone with a computer can make world-class recordings. Yeah. It really is that simple. And, um, I have this thing and and again like the you know the reason I did sell my desk you know we were saying about that it was obviously a challenge it was probably the best thing I've done in terms of the the change in the quality of my work from doing it mm. it's been profound and I think that's become from a mindset change because you know changing the way you hear th- changing your environment all of a sudden I heard things differently absolutely now that probably was down to the fact that I've got a better monitoring path for example now you know, my monitor, there's less circuitry between my speakers and my converters. Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to get a better thing. Acoustically, I'm not getting the same reflection off the console. Yeah. So there's going to be acoustical benefits. But I think the biggest thing is just I was completely thrown out of my comfort zone. Mm. And you have to recalibrate. Yeah. And then you recalibrate in a whole and new you, way. You're, you're realising new things as well. Exactly. That's, that's one thing I'm actually really excited about um, working in other studios, specifically in studio, that mm. it's not, not somewhere I've worked before. And I am interested to see what my mindset is going to be like compared to working here, which yeah. is all I've ever done. I've never recorded at another studio other than the yeah. college ones. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what, well, how gonna, I'm going to, yeah, because it's going to open up new paradigms of thinking yeah. for you, you know, like, are you going to, um, have you thought about maybe going in, um, in shadowing Ian for like a day or something before yeah, you do it? So yeah. you just see how he uses the room. Yeah. Or we're going like to, um, we're going to spend a night. He's just going to, you know taught me for everything basically how yeah. it all works i don't really i don't know how his setup works at the yeah. moment and you know he's he uses mac and i don't <laughs> <laughs> um so it's it's, it's gonna be a, a learning curve it, for sure ian, ian won't mind me saying this mac <clears throat> mac he definitely uses a mac <clears throat> oh, mac yeah a, uh, yeah <laughs> it looks awesome though by the way it is it is he showed me the other day i was like whoa i wouldn't mind that to be honest <laughs> yeah me too but yeah um yeah i'm very very intrigued to see what it's going to be like working in a, in a, in a different studio, just yeah, because, being thrown out of my comfort zone. Because it's gonna, you you know, probably you know yourself, you'll probably start off being incredibly daunting and mm. kind of weird. Oh, I'm nervous as hell. But then you'll start hearing things and go, "Shit, this sounds fucking amazing!" Yeah. Like these overheads. Oh my god! Yeah. Like my overheads never sound. And then your your brain starts kind of opening up these whole new worlds. You know. Yeah, I think change of environment is is definitely a good thing. It's amazing. So yeah. is that is that one of the main reasons why you sold your SSL? Yeah, it's, it was a few things. It was it was it just felt like um, uh, I mean I've worked on desks pretty much the whole time I've been recording. There was a brief period where I left the studio where I was training, which I mentioned before and went on my own where I didn't have a console. Mm. 
but then I pretty much quickly got a Mackie console. Mm -hmm. And then pretty much from there onwards, I've always had a mixed desk. Right. So from 20 years old, so yeah, 14 years, mm. um, I've had a mixing desk. Of some description, I had a, a Mackie, then I got a Toft, which is based on like a Trident. Yeah, yeah. And then I went, I had that for a few years, and then I had a Audient console, which was amazing. Mm. And then I got the SSL after that. Um and they all, you know, did something that was really cool. And I felt like every time it gave me the same thing, this environmental change, it, yeah. it seemed to, my work seemed to just shift. Mm. I remember getting the SSL. I could tell you the project I worked on, funny enough, on the SSL because um, there was a band I worked with called Fish Tank. Um, um, yeah. Which, yeah. What, um... I did the Phantom EP. Yeah. Yeah. And what's crazy is I tracked that on the audience. We did the first mixes on the audience. Mm. And uh, then I got the SSL and I did the second mixes on the SSL. Mm. And it was so different and it was awesome. Now, like, it must be the console, but I think so much of it was the way I was hearing things. I, was, I made different decisions mm. and I did things like I, it wasn't just a mix tweaks. It was like, oh, I, I actually want to rebalance this a little bit. Yeah. Um, just gave you a different it mindset. Gave you a, it. Yeah, a different mindset. Yeah. And I think that's such a big thing. So that was kind of partially it. Um, also, um, I think the big thing as well, I think maybe the starting point of it for me getting rid of the desk was where I was so busy and I am so busy now that it's, you know, I'm, I'm basically booked six days a week, mm. six, seven days a week, pretty much constantly. Mm. Um, and when it comes around to kind of mixed revisions, again, my clients are pretty awesome with mixed revisions. Generally I have, don't have too much work to do on a second mix. Yeah. It's generally harmonies up. Yeah. This guitar part down, shaker up <laughs> these kind of things. Yeah. It's these little kind of minute changes so it's not the actual process of doing that is very simple. Yeah. When you've got to recall a desk, mm. even a desk with total recall on it, and then you've printed that mix at 10 o'clock at night and you're trying to recall it at 9am in the morning, the desk doesn't sound the same. It just doesn't sound the same because of the voltage, the way the kind of capacitors soak up, that you know, that, it know changes that. everything. You know? Yeah. And then like, trying to get the, your outboard to be matched the same for the same reasons, or maybe one setting's got knocked and you haven't noticed. Mm. And it, and doing all that, you know, doing these really small changes that if you're working in a DAW, you can do in seconds. So what what are you using now? Are you doing it all in the box? So or? I do. It's it, so the summing is done in the box. Yeah. yeah. So I don't use an outboard summing. I I basically um, got some more converters, and all my out, I still use quite a lot of outboard to be honest, mm. but they're running as hardware inserts. And what I'm doing now is printing them. So very rarely. See, the only thing I really have to recall on a mix is my what's on the master bus, hmm. um, which I had kind of custom made for me. It's this like crazy 3U box that was made by a company called Morbin Audio, which is like, um, yeah, I mean, everything in it is custom. So enough, nothing is like anything else. It's similar to the, the closest thing you can describe it to would be like an SSL bus compressor with a Poltec kind of EQ, kind okay. of, but it's a bit different because we modified the... The EQ was a passive EQ with an API makeup gain. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of got this API flavor to it. And none of the the controls are pots. They're not potentiometers. They're switches. Oh. So it recalls 100%. It can right. only yeah. re be yeah. recalled the same. And it really, I mean, it, null, really cool. it null tests <laughs> in 45 seconds. Wow. Yeah, I mean, or in less 30 seconds, 10 seconds, depending on how much EQ I've got on it. Mm. But it's click, 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 and it's done. And then you know it's the same. That's which really is cool. but that's been a big thing so that's all i have to recall now um everything else uh in terms of um 
you know, my outboard generally gets printed down. Now, I mean, okay, there are times where I will have to make a change to say I've got a drum bus compressor that I've printed. I would use generally use an analog one for that. If there's something in the drums that, that needs to be changed, then obviously, obviously I have to recall that. But mm. it doesn't happen that much. No. I mean, that's maybe one in 10 mixes that yeah. happens. Generally, I'll print that down as a stem. The drums are fine. Yeah, do, just you, have... do you generally like take pictures of the outboard gear to know where it's set to? So if you do need to recall it, you, you got it there. Or... Yeah. So how I do it is uh, my system is that in um, the DAW I use, it's got it's got like a note file. Okay. Yeah. And then I've got like a kind of system of like like noting things down. Mm. Um, and on different compressors, the the notation is slightly different. Yeah. But um, a lot of my outboard that I've got is stepped pots, so I try and kind of. I have a system, say, on... I, I use an Alicia compressor on drums mainly. Mm. Um, that's all stepped. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, so I'll have the settings written down just on the number of clicks. Yeah. So it's got nothing to do with the numbers or, the say, the attack of the compressor wouldn't be the clicks. milliseconds. It would be... It would say 12, and it would yeah. be it's 12 positions up from zero. So all the way okay. left is yeah, zero, yeah. and I'll just go count 12, and then I've got it the same. Um, you still have to check it with your ears. Yeah. You still have to listen because yeah. sometimes things just don't sound the don't same. Sound the same. Mm. But um, you might have missed one thing, or you might have it when you re when you wrote down those settings. You might be in between two settings, so yeah. you got to check a little bit. But generally, I've kind of been tailoring my equipment to stuff that I can recall quickly. Right. Um, and if there's something, there's a few pieces that are like not even stepped. They're just completely and they're virtually impossible to recall. Mm. Um, but I've found ways around that. So very rarely do i have to recall them and then say there's a compressor that i always use pretty much on everything there's um just constantly variable com like potentiometers i just always use the same settings basically yeah. and just feed it more or less um so you kind of that's kind of what i do with the linda audio compressor yeah it's always on the same it's just changing the input and the output and that's it is that kind of 1176 ish yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a clone kind of thing nice um yeah going back to getting new gear and changing your mindset like mm. when i got that compressor it made me want to be in here even more mm. so i'd all of a sudden have loads more motivation to finish things and work on these projects just because i could play with my, my new my new yeah. toy I, and it's so important yeah. yeah so i think getting new equipment well not necessarily that change just changing things up is, is a good way to keep yourself motivated and I, want to work on things this is see this is something that i've really only realized I think I've done it always. I've done it my whole the whole time I've been doing this, but mm. really only this kind of year where I've made this huge change from a mixing desk that I've had for, I don't know, four years, five years, worked that way, sold my furniture, sold this, sold that, changed the way my monitors are positioned, changed everything, mm. and gone to this kind of very streamlined setup. I mean, it's still... I, I like it, you know, yeah. but... The ergonomics are different. My chair feels different in my position. My my arms are more comfortable when I'm working. It's these things that are so uncool to talk about, you know, yeah. but like they make, make such a, a difference. big difference for yeah. me. And like you said, it makes you want to get into work. And like, it's awesome for me now because like things like um, my outboard EQs, right, where yeah. they used to be, because obviously my SSL was in front of me. It was like, you know, just over a meter wide. That would be my here. Mm -hmm. And my EQs used to be off to my right. So I have like a pair of API EQs that I used to love, mm. but they were like, you know, I'm I'm reaching far to my right to make changes. So when you're in the mix and you're trying to get into that flow state of just working yeah. and not, not trying not to overthink your decisions, you want to go quick mm. to patch in those compressed those EQs. And then you're reaching, you're putting yourself out the sweet spot of the monitors. Yeah. 
it, and adjusting things while you're over to the right. Exactly. You just kind of don't no. want to do it. So subconsciously you think, no, I'm just going to use it. See, that's, that is a, I mean, I don't really touch this much because I just set, I've got, um, obviously no one can see, I've got two preamps over to my right in a yeah. rack. I just set these and then kind of just let it do its thing. Yeah. So that's the only time I'm out of the sweet spot touching yeah. any of this and patching things in. Yeah. But yeah, I can imagine that being quite annoying having yeah, to I've, lean over whilst you know, adjusting. It kind of is what it is. And but until you have the those now they're in front of I me mean, and they're literally in front of me. So as my hands are kind of if I was to stretch my arms out in front of me, that's where the EQs are. Yeah. So I'm so much more inclined now to go. Oh, I'm going to chuck those API EQs on this yeah. or like, let me hear what that sounds like and just even try it. Or mm. I've got some EQs that were like uh, from a company. It's a 500 series company called five fish maybe. And they did these EQs a while ago that are kind of like inductor EQs similar with like transformers in them. So similar to a Neve kind of sound, I guess mm. like it doesn't sound like a Neve to be honest, <laughs> but I think the point of it was like, it's that inductor kind of yeah. EQ thing. So it's quite smooth sounding. The top end is probably my favorite top end out of any of my EQs. I use it on pretty much every vocal I record because mm. it's just got this super sweet top end. Um, but again, now they're in front of me. I'm so much more inclined to go, oh, I'll just stick them on yeah. in the mix. What do they sound like? You know, yeah. whereas before I'm thinking, oh, God, God you know, <laughs> I just use a plug in. Yeah. You know, so it just changes. It changes the way things go mm. in your head. And like you said, you get more inspired by things. So then yeah. you stumble across a setting that you hadn't tried before. And it's like, whoa, you know, that sounds mm. amazing. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. That environmental shift really is a big thing. You know, yeah. that's something that I haven't really thought about, to be honest. Like I've. Now, now you've mentioned it, I've noticed when that's been a case yeah. for me. But yeah, it's something I've never really actively thought about and mm. thought that well, could same. be quite beneficial. Same, that's it. You know, it's the same for me. You know, as I said, it's been only been a recently kind of recent thing. But, you know, yeah, I mean, the other, I think the other thing for me was as well um, about kind of getting rid of my desk and, you know, changing my setup. I sold a lot of my outboard. I basically tried to get it down to things that I used every session or pretty much mm. used 90% of the time stayed, anything else went. Mm. And, uh, you know, you're still fighting kind of the, the gear addict, you know, in you going, there's, you've oh. never got enough of you. No, there's always things you want. What's, what's your dream, dream bit of gear? My dream bit of gear. Oh, um, it changes, you know. You don't. Have, you don't have to pay for it. Someone will buy it for you. I don't know if I have any anymore. This is the thing. Right now, I'm in this weird, like, minimalist thing where I'm like, I want less. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I've kind of gone through this thing of I like, wanting less stuff because right. it's less stuff to break. It's less stuff to maintain. It's less cables that break. Mm. But if money was no object, there would always be things. Um, probably the actual studio itself. Okay. Probably. So you rent you're renting that as yeah i mean i'm leasing my building yeah i've leased that um but if if someone could say you could have anything we'll give you one thing f towards recording yeah i would like a recording studio built right. how i'd like it right you know, okay right design yeah. you know yeah. the shelves the acoustics of the room mm. the size of the Full room control over everything is that so yeah. you someone else built the studio and you yeah so it was uh no it was i, I mean i kind of was, was there the whole time so how my studio came to be was um it was through the Creative Foundation, um, who it was basically through Roger DeHaan Trust. So they, um, back when I first started talking to them, the area in Folkestone I was in was pretty run down. Mm. Um, not particularly a nice place. And they were buying up all these like derelict buildings in the area mm -hmm. and kind of 
reinventing them as this kind of artistic community and artistic businesses. So that could be artists, painters. Mm. It could be people that sell jewellery. It could be people that sell soap. It could be mm. people that make cool food, you know, coffee shops or those kind of things. If it's like an artistic kind of quality to it mm. uh, and it's an independent business, they would kind of be involved. So I got involved with that. Um, and it took years, you know, it took years to find the right place, the right yeah. premises, you know, there's so many factors that go into kind of building a recording studio um, to get it right, especially in that area where you're in, it's not, you know, not yeah, out in yeah. kind of with neighbours, you know, 30 foot away. I've got neighbours five foot away yeah. from me. I've got a shop above my recording studio. <laughs> so it really had to be considered about, you know, what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so we eventually found the right space and then um, I kind of knew roughly how I wanted it to be. Um, and then we brought in uh, a few acoustic designers to kind of finish off the designs, making sure, um, it, you know, what I wanted was going to work acoustically and also in terms of isolation as well, mm. um, just to kind of fine tune the design to make sure that the building team that built it knew exactly how to build the structure yeah, yeah. and the, like doing some of the equations of like the floating floor had mm. to be mathematically calculated. So it kind of sat on the right kind of pressure it's it's yeah. insane the amount of maths that went into it but so you got a, a team in to help you yeah it was design huge it. it was a huge yeah. job yeah it was a massive massive process and Worth a lot it of in money. the end though yeah well i mean i've it's it's awesome you know mm. i've been there 12 13 years in that recording studio um i can record 24 7 yeah you can't hear anything i can't hear anybody else so it's very cool yeah. um i wouldn't have been able to do it without <clears throat> the people that own the building and you know their support in the early years of me doing it mm. um do you think you'll, do you think you'll stay there no 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 i don't it's it's um it's a big thing at the moment for me i think that probably is if i'm speaking honestly probably the next chapter for right. me is starting to think about and again if i'm speaking completely honestly i've probably been looking into it for about a year and a half okay. of, of moving mm. um it's not something i kind of like to go on about too much because i don't want to make any kind of clients past present future feel weird about that yeah because it's certainly not going to be an overnight thing it's 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 years of process yeah. of finding the right place i mean for me to move it has to be the, the goldilocks place it has to have the right perfect yeah yeah it has I mean, to be perfect yeah, or, like, or i'm not interested um the next but, place you move to will probably be you know the place that you are for i'm gonna say 10 years yeah. that's that in my head it's the next 10 years yeah that's the next 10 years so you want it to be perfect it's got to be better you, yeah it's got to be better than what i've got at the moment and, and that's the thing in every aspect you know mm. i'm so fortunate i don't have noise issues at my studio yeah so what would suck is for me to kind of pump horrendous amounts of money into building a new studio only to find that like on a Tuesday, if I record drums, I get somehow someone angry banging on my door, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, um, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you do, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's... It's horrible. It is, it is. Yeah. It was quite... After that happened that day, basically the neighbour came over and just shouted at me and I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is like my worst nightmare coming true. It is, true. yeah. Because then you're thinking about the client that exactly, you had here. Exactly, and yeah, it was awful. I was in such a shitty mood that I night bet, and man, just yeah. really upset in general and... But then I started thinking, you know, maybe this isn't such a bad thing because I've been wanting to go to different places and mm. try and record and stuff. So, you know, maybe this is the kick out of the butt that I need to yeah. go forward with that plan and actually do it rather than just being comfortable where I am. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's great that you have that mentality. I think more people should just think like that in life, like not even yeah. just about recording. I think 
these challenges that when you get sent, they look like the worst thing yeah. on paper, you know, and you think, oh, what the fuck am I going to do now? But in those moments, something awesome usually comes from yeah. it, you know, these uh, terrible things. And then you could, in six months, you you don't know, you could be working with some awesome band because yeah. they heard something you'd recorded at Ian's studio. That, yeah, you just exactly. don't know where it's going to exactly, go. So. Yeah. I always, uh, always say this to myself and other people, the, the greater the challenge, the greater the reward. Hell and yeah. I definitely think that's true. Yeah, I agree, man. I <laughs> so, absolutely agree. And it's, 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 it, what's interesting as well is I find that the more, um, you know, the more you get settled into kind of a way of thinking and a way of doing things, the thought of kind of pushing yourself out of that comfort zone actually gets harder. Certainly yeah. for me, I've noticed that in, you know, recent years where I am like, I've, I've got it pretty good. Yeah. I've got, you just get lot, comfy. I've got a lot of clients. I've got a lot of work and, got my nice studio and some nice equipment and everything's great and you know you, and then you kind of have these existential questions where you think well is this is this where i want to be and you yeah. think no i want no. more yeah so, so then okay well, yeah. i'm gonna have to break out of this like lovely little comfortable bubble that i've built mm. and then start pushing yourself more and it, it does get harder you know it's scary, isn't it? it's scary yeah for sure but you know like you said you know you've got to take those risks yeah. because the greater the risk the greater the reward you know Exactly. So um, it's uh, exciting, but I'm sure you'll have the same thing, you know. And yeah. Ian's a lovely guy, and like, it's, I've never actually made it over. I, we all often say, Ian and I, that like, you know, I still need to come and see his studio. Yeah. I said that to him the year he built it. And I, like, I must come over <laughs> and actually, see. It. Um, so he was on the podcast, and he actually said that his studio was very inspired by yours. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, I'm well, guess, he came. I'm guessing the. Um, the way it's built or whatever yeah yeah i know that he's got the side on control room and a side on live room yeah. yeah um he did come over i don't know if it was he would i'm trying to remember if his i think his place might be being built when he came over and hung out on mine right i can't remember fully i i know ian's been doing it a long time it's funny with ian you know because like i don't think if, i don't know if ian i've had this chat with ian actually <laughs> or not but we met each other at a house party <laughs> when probably when I was like 16 mm. and he was he sung briefly for a band who was my friends right. and then they kind of I think he left to do something else but I remember then like I was just get, that was I was like 16 so I just started recording bands mm. so they knew that that was like my thing and Ian was is his kind of thing as well at the yeah. time so like, oh Ian records bands as well and I remember that because there wasn't really that many people doing it. So it's really funny that they had this like chance meeting with Ian yeah. then and then all these years later, you know. Yeah, that we know. both are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Humble beginnings. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone does, you know, same with same with Dan, same with yeah. Ian, same with probably every everyone else, you know, you you, you come from the bottom for mm. sure. And there's some people that haven't, not in this, I don't think in the Kent world, I think everyone in the Kent music scene, certainly the people that are doing well have all come from... Yeah working their nuts off mm. you know the, the people i know and the people that like you know i respect yeah, yeah. in this in this kent world yeah. of all work bloody bloody hard you know mm. so i have like a lot of respect for everyone really yeah so. like, it's definitely a really cool community around here yeah like the fact that every producer i've asked around here has been like yeah i'll do your podcast yeah let's hang out get a drink yeah yeah like, for sure everyone's so helpful and dedicated to keeping this part of this industry alive i guess yeah absolutely and i think it's really cool i mean i think i think i said this to you off off before you started recording but i'll mm. say it again just so it's kind of immortalized but like i think what you're doing is very cool i think the podcast is very cool and the the kind of um you know why you're doing it and the kind of 
background to it is very cool too so i think it's uh i think it's awesome and it's great to see kind of I've, i certainly saw from when dan's one went up um and then i've seen it on instagram like ian's one getting shared and stuff and i think mm. people really do enjoy it i think podcast is you know a great format anyway and what you're doing is a really interesting kind of side to it rather than us sitting here going what setting do you use on your yeah. eq you know <laughs> like you're talking we're talking about the wider picture and i know as i said i listened to dan's one or the a good portion of dan's one and he was talking about the wider things as well yeah. you know and the i think it's interesting yeah, you know because i think that makes up you know why people do this job and why people are kind of able to do it for a living now like you know mm. myself and dan and ian like why we've been able to do it and hopefully people can see it's not just that we've been given yeah. loads of money or loads of equipment yeah. and all of a sudden I feel like just... a lot of people assume that straight off the yeah. bat I had that I a lot when I, I had um yeah. a span come in and because my studio is at my parents house I think they just automatically assume that I've got rich parents like we do have a nice house okay and we have a nice garden whatever does not mean we're rich no by any stretch no. of imagination absolutely so, yeah and uh she she said to me she went oh, so I'm guessing your parents paid for all of this. I was like, no, they fucking didn't. Yeah. I paid for all yeah. of this and I worked bloody hard to get it. And I was like, well, I didn't say that, but I thought that. And it's I was like, it's insulting for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, I've I've definitely, uh, and this is something probably I've never actually talked about like publicly other than to my friends, but like I've had this a few times and the, the I think the weirdest one for me and something that like my ego has definitely had found it hard to kind of, get past and it is just my ego that's all it is but is with the band because mm. i've been doing this job longer than i was in feed the rhino i was right. doing this professionally uh i had had albums in the album charts yeah, before yeah. i had even met those guys mm. and then i joined this cool band who had played three gigs in kent in like working men's clubs mm. and we just got on i like what they were doing we ended up doing quite well yeah. and had a good career and like that was awesome but it's kind of strange you know i I couldn't help but take feeling a little bit of dent in my pride when bands started putting instead of going, oh, the guy that recorded this band, the guy that recorded yeah. had this success with this record label or that record label. Recording with Oz from Feed the Rhino. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't help but feel a little bit like, well, is that what... That's not all I'm about. Yeah. yeah. I love that band and I owe a lot to that band, but like, I feel like my ego took a dent a little bit with mm. that I which is a, i think that's understandable and it's the same with like you and, and i've had the same before as well you know people come around and they want to reduce what you do and all the work you've put into making this place and the Simplify. probably the the hours you spent building these acoustic panels yeah. and all of this stuff yeah. that you know that you goes into it and go oh mummy and daddy must have bought you know yeah. you just go oh, fuck you yeah, man do you know awesome. what i mean <laughs> i wonder if it's a lot of the people like to think that it's easy or like to think that oh, there's absolutely. like a, an easy answer. I, I thought it was going to be easy before going into it because i knew that basically i got it was after my 18th birthday the day after my 18th birthday i was, I was like right i'm gonna do it that's awesome i'm gonna do it and um yeah, I thought, I was like, oh, yeah, no worries. We'll just build some acoustic panels, blah, 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 get a bit of gear. It'll be fine, yeah. Yeah. And then I soon realised, hang on a minute, I'm actually going to have to put some proper effort <laughs> into this. Um, that's just lack of experience, I think, and, and naivety. And Well, I think it can be an absolute benefit as well because, again, I've often, like, I, I often think, like... I don't think if, people would do it if they realised how hard it was. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I would have no, done. I definitely would. For sure. <laughs> I just, like... As I'm I said, so committed I was like, to it now. I can't not. Yeah, you, yeah, you're getting deep, man. Like I was like, uh, yeah, I was like 19, so I was like a you know a year older than you. I'd like worked at a studio full time for a year. Hmm. I was in a band at the time called Cubic Space Division. I was playing bass. We That's just got cool, signed. Man. Yeah, it was a, it's a painting by M. C. Escher. 
um, I can't take any credit. The band were already doing pretty well when I joined. I kind of like snuck in like I did with Feed the Rhino. Mm. Um, and uh, we got signed. We were on a cool label. We started touring. The studio I worked at was awesome and I owe them a huge amount. More than I could kind of put into words, really. They taught me a lot about music. They taught me a lot about business. They taught me a lot about recording. A lot of things. So I still kind of owe it owe so much of what I do to them. But I just felt like I got to this point where I'd kind of I needed to change. Something needed to yeah. give, you know, and I was not gonna be able to be an employee mm. working, you know, forty hour weeks, the same hours every day yeah. because I was gonna be going off and doing tours and weekends yeah. and festivals and stuff. So again in my naivety, same thing as you, you're just like, Well, Build a wall in my parents' garage. Yeah. Start paying them a little bit of rent. Jobs are good. And... Yeah, <laughs> bang a bang a computer in there, some speakers, and off we go. What was crazy for me is that in the first year I started working for record labels, and then I just started going, "Oh fuck, this is serious." And I yeah. started having like cool bands in my parents' garage. Do you know what I mean? That's like very, it was yeah. very strange, and bands started coming around from across the other side of the country coming down, and mm. that's when you're like, "Shit." It's yeah, getting, it's getting a bit real now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it started getting weird, man. And um, it soon dawned on me that this was this was I needed to kind of grow quick, and mm. that's when the kind of idea of building a studio came about. And um, I was in Deal. I grew up in Deal, um, so it was at my parents' house there. Uh, and I kind of started to realise that a lot of bands I was recording were over in Folkestone. Yeah. There was like seemed to be this kind of, and we're back. <laughs> Slight technical issue technical there. Technical issues. Always it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a recording studio if there wasn't technical issues. Exactly. Um, yeah, we didn't get much further than that. No, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Well, I mean, shoot with another question. I'll, I'll probably anyway, uh, yeah. waffle on for a bit longer than you can. <laughs> um, this is a question I'm going to try and ask everyone that I have on. Okay. Just as kind of a like a last little, sure. little bit of advice for people. And that is one bit of advice for a new producer. Oh, whether it be... You know what gear they should buy or how to go about making a go for it okay um i'm trying to think of an answer i haven't given before and maybe an answer you haven't had before um and trying to be a little bit controversial because it's always fun to spice it up a little bit spice up your life um i guess i guess don't don't go in yeah, I think this is probably a sage piece of advice. Don't um, don't get too sucked in. I don't want to name any names, but I don't get too sucked into these like online teaching platforms, mm. subscription models. Do everything this way. Use always use this plugin. Yeah. Well, I think I used to say this. That was always my advice for people that were at college. Don't get too sucked into this way of thinking that you know at college when you do a course, they have to say to you. It has to be markable, so you have to basically there are there's a correct and a wrong answer, but the reality is there's not a correct and a wrong answer, especially microphones and things like that. You know, there is literally no yeah. right or wrong. Um, so that was always going to be my answer, but then in today's world, I think it applies to kind of again. I don't want to you know name any names, but there's these online platforms which I know are coming with the best of uh, intentions to offer amazing content and amazing kind of uh, advice to people but i noticed that they kind of build this kind of model up that it's like this is how you do things this mm. is should be the process and this they do things that i've never done and still don't do like i see a lot of people that are just like 
kind of pseudo mastering inside of a mix i don't do that like my mm. mixes are super quiet yeah. uh, and like loads of headroom because that's how i learned on analog desks yeah so that's how you do things so just don't get too sucked into the idea that there is one way of doing things use your ears more than anything else have your own way try and do things your way and not how you think other people are doing things i suppose yeah perfect it feels like a bit of a cliche answer no, but well you know you know there's something hopefully something in there that people can kind of click what i'm getting at with yeah i definitely think there is yeah awesome well thank it's been fun well, thank you very much yeah, for having I me really here appreciate and, uh, you uh, coming over and doing this i hope i don't bore your listeners too no, much no, I, think, <laughs> I, think I, love it. I mean the, let's be honest the type of people that are listening to this they're gonna love it oh, i hope so man yeah. i hope so well you know again i hope you uh, carry on doing the awesome job you're doing with the podcast i can't wait to see uh you know where it goes and what other guests you have on and looking forward to seeing uh your new work out of ian's place as well i think yeah. it's gonna be exciting times for you so thank good, you. good luck with that. all that thank you very much thank you very much for listening to episode three i really hope you enjoyed it um thank you very much to oz for taking some time out of his busy schedule to have a chat with me and yeah we'll see you in the next one thank you very much Bye bye